Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Well, happy Friday, everybody. This morning, I've got a show that I'm real excited about. I found this woman on Facebook, of all places, Dr. Irene Blinston, and she's done uh, her Ph.D. dissertation on children who have mystical experiences or children who have visions. And here's what she says about it. Have you ever wondered what happens to kids who are able to see things that no one else sees, child visionaries who see religious figures and other supernatural phenomena? These types of experiences are quite often viewed as abnormal, like the visionary is crazy, or the work of the devil. In this interview, Dr. Irene Blinston will break open the lie perpetuated by science and Christian religions, which has forced many people who were childhood visionaries into a lifetime of secrecy. Dr. Blinston is one of the first researchers to tread this touchy territory, spending seven years studying adults who experience supernatural visionary events as children. During her research, Dr. Blinston discovered that people are impacted by these events and they experience some amazing lifelong after effects. Dr. Blinston says there is a need to educate and train health care providers, teachers, clergy, and parents in order to help kids who are often changed by these events. If you think that you or uh, one of your children may have experienced a visionary event, um, you'll want to tune in and listen to uh, what we have to say, and I'm going to call her right now. She's such a sport. She's out in California, and it's going to be 7 a.m. when I reach her, so we're going to call her right now. And she's writing a book right now about this subject. Hi, this is Lois Wetzel calling you about the radio interview this morning. How are you? I'm good. I've been waiting for your call. Excellent. So I was just telling everybody that I found you on Facebook, and now I can't remember even how I got there. It was one of those synchronous events that I I can't even track. Now, you know how sometimes you're guided this place and that while you're on a computer. And I was so excited to find that someone has done this research because I've thought about it a lot, given the strange childhood I had. And I guess my first question for you is, what got you interested in this subject? Well, I used to be um, so standoffish when people would ask me that and uh, just kind of tap dance around the topic. But as most people would suspect with somebody looking into something, they'd be questioning why. And I did have an experience as a child. Um, and and it escalated from uh, seeing Jesus, <laughs> actually uh, a very profound experience at about seven years old. 
And then I had, um, it seemed to have peaked a, a time in my life when I was just open to all kinds of uh, what would be called paranormal or supernatural experiences. And I had to keep it a secret because no one believed me and everybody was afraid. Um, and so the safest thing to do was not talk about it. But I wanted to, I, at first I thought I was the only one. But the reason I did the research uh, and I had an opportunity to do the research is to see if I I knew there had to be other people out there and what happened to their lives and I really wanted to know. So very personal reason, plus I wanted to, you know, get my degrees. <laughs> well, that's what I suspected, you know, and you're right. You're not the only one who had those kinds of experiences as a child, as I'm sure you've discovered during the course of seven years of collecting data. That's impressive right there by all, yeah. all by itself. Uh, but, yeah, you have to clam up about it because it freaks the adults out so badly. Well, At and least. children, too. I just want to throw that out there. Um, kids as well, because they are taught by parents, you know, their parents. So mm-hmm. there's really no safe place. I want to just point that out because it's kind of important. Absolutely. I never even got past trying to tell my mother what I saw. I would never, I never again open my mouth about it, not to another child right. or anybody else. Um, right. So can you give us an idea of what kinds of after effects having to clam up about that part of your reality has on people? Well, you know, I think my personal feeling is is that because people are keeping these things secret, uh, they're they're also not being able to expand their lives into what the potential is, and they're mm-hmm. holding themselves back. Um, right. However, I was what I was very surprised about in my research was that I thought, especially the people who had religious apparitions, um, I, I had no idea. I was thinking, you know, did they end up becoming drug addicts or, you know, doing crazy things because, you know, people thought they were crazy or... You know, and they had to be quiet about it. But I, I only had one person who had a what we could call a mental breakdown because it was just so overpowering for her. She was five years old, and she had actually physical contact with a being that she identified as Jesus when she was, you know, five years old. And for her, it was just such an overpowering thing, and having to hold that in. Um, one of the one of the big after effects that I've noticed is whether it comes, if it was happened before or it was it happened after the experience, is that really high psychic abilities. And that's what happens. They become overpowered. Um, and it's not anything that they aren't able to handle because a lot of these people have become adults who are healers of some kind. That was the majority. When I noticed that I was getting responses to my call for participation in my research, people's stories were they were healers. They were, um, you know, closet mystics, but they were doing hands-on healing. They were doing massage therapy with special kinds of energetic healing. Even as children post the experience or immediately post the experience, they had these uncanny healing abilities. And this is one of the things that parents, who may suspect or that they're not sure, or if their child has told them they've had an experience and they've just kind of brushed it off like, oh, imaginary, you know, imaginary friends or uh, just making up the story or just trying to get attention. Well, what happens is, as you know from your own experience and with me, we may still be the kids that we are, but there's a part of us that, you know, it's staying inside. So there's there's an inhibition or excuse me, uh, they're um, inhibited to be able to express themselves fully. And sometimes it'll come out in art, but they'll also display characteristics that are unusual, but they're so young, it's hard to tell if it's not developmental. But they'll start wanting to help people or help animals, which was one case where a child used to heal wildlife. She would go out and find an animal that was hurt, a bird, um, and she would just hold it in her hands, and, and it would become more enlivened and heal, and a bird would fly away, or a little critter would get up and walk away. So it's these uncanny healing abilities in whatever way, whether it be hands-on healing, which is the majority of them, 
or psychic abilities like uh, intuitive, uh, medical intuitives. It's fascinating when I discovered all of these kind of healing attributes that these people had. It's quite, quite interesting. So, no, they didn't have any problems. Um, they actually adapted quite well. And a few people that uh, I had one person, not a religious apparition, but I cannot remember his encounter experience, but his, he was a teenager when it happened, and his parents took him in and um, had him examined. And because it was a visionary experience, he was put on medication hmm. as a teenager. Yeah, so these these are the tragedies. These are the tragedies. Well, I find what you just said very interesting because what I studied in college was art, and I have an MFA in painting, and um, so that's one way it expressed. And I used to channel art, and, and I did have visionary experiences, but no religious figures. I just saw people from I realize now from past lives who came and spoke to me in the middle of the night, and they were luminous and um, in the room, and I could see them. But um, now I'm a healer, and um, ah. yeah, and I yeah. have been for about 22 years. Yeah. So maybe that's just part of the career path of a mystic. I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I think about it though. I mean, I just have to throw this out there. Um, you know, it, we we look at the stories, the biblical stories, and the stories that are handed down about Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was a healer. Yeah, he was also an exorcist, and people almost never say that. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially that terminology. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> right. Cast demons uh, out of some woman into swine so people could see that they had gone somewhere. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, as an adult now, I've seen the Archangel Gabriel on a couple of occasions. But when I was a child, it was people from past lives, I, I realize now, who were not incarnate at the time, coming to tell me things. Um, so now you're, you've written your dissertation and now you're writing a book right. on this subject. Yeah. Is that correct? Well, yes, I am. So I'm excited about your book because I know a whole lot of people who work with kids that I want to send a copy to. But I, next thing I want to ask you, though, is can you give us a couple of examples of things that happened to people and what the reactions of those around them were? Yes, I can. Uh, some of the stories, I, because what I did is I had people write about their story, you know, write about their experiences. I was part of my research and then my postdoctoral research, I have them do the same thing to write the account down so I have an idea of what happened, where, what time of the day. Um, and there, there's a wide range of the experiences and, and the after effects. And I don't mean after effects in their own abilities, but of disclosure. Um, it, it's from one experience of a five-year-old. <laughs> I love this story. She's five years old and she's in in a lotus position out in a meadow, <laughs> meditating oh at five five years old. You just gotta love it. And she said that she opened her eyes and she saw this bright luminous light. And when she you know could look more clearly, she saw there was a lady in this light. And so she said she closed her eyes. And she opened again to make sure the lady was still there. It was so cute the way she wrote it. And uh, and she said the lady was still there, and it was Mary. I mean, she, she just identified as a lady. She was raised Catholic, so she was presuming it was Mary, and she was five years old. Um, and she was so excited about it. And in, right now I cannot remember if they had communication because a lot of them did. Um, most of it was telepathic communication. But she told her family, and uh, evidently she was well-received because I, I guess her grandmother had had um, a visionary experience. <laughs> so she was well-received. On the other hand, uh, the diametrically opposed to that, in the Philippines, one of my participants at four years old, and her sister was with her, um, at, who was three years old, I believe, a light came in through the window one night and scared the heck out of them, actually. And this is a, um, a quality of the light that they describe, and, and also it's a near-death experience and also alien encounters, believe it or not. And there's a sparkly quality to the light. Um, it's, 
one person trying to describe it in a painting was trying to find some kind of paint that would describe, you know, that would show what it was, and she got this uh, kind of a pearlescent paint. So it's got a sparkly quality. So she was describing, trying to describe in English, uh, obviously English was her second language, and that this sparkling quality to the light and how this light grew. And she and her sister were scared to death. And so they covered their heads with blankets. <laughs> and then they would like peek out again and that light was still there. And in the Philippines, they described Mary as Mama Mary. And she goes, it was Mama Mary. It was so sweet. And she went, she told her mother, and her mother took her to a priest, Catholic priest in Manila. And the priest told her that it was Satan and basically that she was in league with the devil. Uh, yeah, and this is how um, this is how well received this was by this child. She was so there's something I can't describe about their development and the maturity. Because when she wrote me, she said, "When I was a little girl, and when the priest told me that, I just thought, well, I guess everybody is allowed their opinion." <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I guess everybody's allowed. I guess everybody's allowed, allowed like their opinion. Yeah, it wasn't Satan, you know, I know that, but whatever, you know, father, whoever, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and she said as an adult, she went to a priest, and I can't remember where she said she was. I think she was still in the Philippines. And, um, and that priest said the same thing. And one of the sad parts for me in this case is that, you know, there's still that questioning. And, Lois, this is one of the things a lot of people, not everyone, because some are just thoroughly convinced that this happened to them and they have no question about it. But like this person in the Philippines is just trying to find answers. It's like, what was that? What happened to me? Um, you know, why why me? And did I make this up? Did I have like a moment of I'm wacky or what? You know, and some of the different words people use. So they're so afraid. And there's no one they can talk to is how they feel because no one understands. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of the dichotomy. And then the worst case scenario, I had this horrible story come from a a person who was really young at five years old. Now, she didn't see a religious figure. She could tell. She could see things, (laughs) and she could tell when people were going to die. And she was from um, the southern part of of the United States, and there's a strong fundamentalist Christian, uh, Southern Baptist, and even Pentecostal type of um, um, Christian faith down there. And she said that, she would, her mother would have these religious gatherings in her home, and she'd walk out, and she could tell you, she'd just say she knew when somebody was going to die. And this completely freaked out <laughs> the people that were there, and they took this child, and they laid her on top of a table, held her down, and uh, screaming that Satan was in her and trying to exercise Satan out of her. And you can just imagine the effect that that would have, that suddenly somebody with that kind of religious background to be told that Satan was in them would be the most frightening thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, she did well. You know, she's a healer now, too, interestingly enough. Um, but to be able to describe that, to me, I, just reading it frightened me. And mm-hmm. I can imagine as a small child being scared to death because here's all these adults completely freaked that, that Satan had entered the home through their, this child. Uh, so that's that was probably one of the worst stories I got. Well, you know, the Catholic Church as well has some pretty rough techniques for exorcism, and uh, I've, I've always had an issue with that because um, there are ways to do exorcisms that are not at all painful or traumatizing, but not too many people know about those. Um, so if did you did you have people who who saw beings who were not religious figures and and yet these beings spoke to them? Actually, yes. You just when you said that, it reminded me of this sweet little story um, that came in, and I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember this person. It was in the United States or in Great Britain, but I think in the United States. And when she was a small child, and for the life of me, I can't remember the age now, but somewhere between um, probably oh six to nine years old, because I, I had a range. I when in my original research, they had to have had their experience before they were thirteen years old. 
Mm-hmm. And some stories came in that didn't qualify because they weren't religious figures, but I had opened this door that said, hello, I'm listening. And so mm-hmm. I got, oh, my gosh, I got bombarded with emails. knowing They knew they didn't qualify for my research, but they wanted to tell someone their story, and this is one of them. Um, she would wake up in the middle of the night because the little people would be calling her, and she would get out of the house and walk to the wooded area, and it had to be very close, I'm sure, that she probably lived in a wooded area, but where the woods were thicker, and the little people would be there, and they were the keepers of the trees. And uh, she described them as small, and they almost sounded um, gnomish, Mm-hmm. And th- they taught her about how to take care of trees. And she would be taught during the night when she'd go there. And she said she'd walk barefoot out of her house and go into the woods with these trees, uh, the little people with the trees. And she had so much fun with them, and they taught her about trees. And then she'd go back home and go to sleep, you know, and sleep for however long and wake up in the morning, and there you go. And the way she described them were like they were kind of husky um just, you know, like I said, almost gnomish, like little gnomes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Um, because, they, you know, the, the folklore that they have and all of the stories about uh, leprechauns and gnomes and fairies. And uh, and then I get these stories with these children, as, you know, as children, they had these experiences. And I've always thought, you know, there's something to these stories to have even come about in the first place. So that one was just, I loved that one. It's like being taught by the little people how to take care of trees. And I'm sure the trees that might be listening now are appreciating that. <laughs> well, you know, it uh, sounds like she made contact with the diva kingdom. You know, the divas, there are plant divas and there are... Um, oh, yeah. yeah like so that's what it sounds like is the divic kingdom. Although, you know, the ones who care for the earth are called gnomes. And then there are divas of water called undines and divas of air called sylphs and divas of fire called salamanders. So it sounds like she was seeing the divic kingdom or, else, yeah, or plant plant divas. That that very well could be. I mean, that's uh, in know, the I literature that, that the kid that age would not have read, clearly. So. Yeah, she had she did she just called them the little people. Uh-huh. Um yeah, it was just very sweet because when they wrote their stories, you can tell that, you know, it was something they didn't share much with people. So the wording and everything was almost still when they were kids. Childlike. Describing, yeah, describing the experience. So I loved reading them. Oh, my gosh, it was just the best. <laughs> I I just had, I love my research. I had so much fun doing it. <laughs> That's the way it ought to be if you're going to spend seven years at it. It should oh, be yeah. fun. And, I, I that yeah because I work with doctoral students now that are writing their dissertations and when they come to me before they choose their topic I'm just like make it a happy topic something that you're going to love to do because you're going to be living with it for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, so how many people would you say that you actually how many like I would say is it case studies that you incorporated into your dissertation? Um, I had there. Well, they. I used a, there are different kinds of research methods and um, ways of doing data. You know, analyzing the data. In my case, I did a qualitative study um, in which people gave me stories. Uh, I did interviewed one person. Um, in fact, I interviewed her twice to see if there was an effect uh, of doing the steps that I had them do. I had them do art. Um, or expressive arts before I had them write their autobiography. And I did 12 people because there's a lot of work in having to analyze data in in a qualitative way. And then I I did collect stories. Altogether, the people that actually qualified, I had people writing me from all over the world. Um, 180 people sent me stories that were you know, they didn't quite fit because my criteria was very strict. Uh, It had to be what I call corporeal, and that's where it looks like, you know, Sam from down the street is walking up the street, that solid, real-type appearance. Um, Wow. And, 
and some, and that, yeah, I, 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 because that was my experience. Um, to, to me, when I saw the person that I identified as Jesus, you know, when I was about seven, six or seven years old, um, he was, he was just like a, a man standing up there, and I could go up and touch him if I wanted to. That's how real and solid he was. And I had stories from people who had seen kind of um, wispy images in that, that there was no solid character in it that you could see through the image or whatever, or um, something that wasn't animated like a statue. I, I got a lot of different stories that didn't qualify because of my criteria. Um, and so of 180 people sent in stories that they felt would qualify and because my criteria was so st- so strict, uh, only 25 people out of those 180 actually qualified for my research. And of those, um, only, I think, 13 people actually followed through with all of the requirements. And so I was able to analyze data on, on 13 people. And the majority of those people, I can't remember the actual percentage, I think it was um, at least 56% of them saw Jesus which to me I thought was really interesting because in Catholicism it's not even something that's acknowledged uh, or rarely acknowledged. It's usually Mary because she's the intermediary in in Catholicism. But the majority were Jesus visions or um, I say visions, but, you know, there was actually interaction. Several had communication. Now, together in the stories that I've collected postdoc, Altogether, I think I have I have over a hundred stories, and not all of them are religious apparitions. They range from uh, several alien encounters, mm-hmm. and I I'm, I want to I want to discuss that too. Uh, okay. Alien in, uh, alien encounters, orbs, light experiences, um, seeing the dead. You know, seeing Aunt Mabel. I'm just making up that name because I can't <laughs> to protect the innocent. Um, yeah, they see their grandfather, or family members, or ancestors, things like that. But with the alien encounters, um, what I found very interesting is a lot of there's a faction of folks out there who believe that these religious apparitions are actually aliens. Um, and I have to tell you, I, I contributed a chapter to a book called Fatima Revisited, and for those people who are Catholic... Say that again. Say the name of the book again. It's called Fatima Revisited. It's the okay. title, and there's a longer subtitle. Um, it, the People that are Catholic would probably recognize the apparitions that took place in Fatima, Portugal. But for those who aren't Catholic and aren't aware of it, it's a pilgrimage site in Portugal where in 1917 three children saw Mary and had communication with Mary. And it was a big to-do because Mary gave these children messages to give to the Pope, and it still becomes a whole controversy. However, in the original documents when they were interrogated, poor kids, oh, my gosh, talk about traumatized, um, when they were interrogated and gave their story, what they described was taken to be Mary. And so we have these statues of Mary. In I, I went down there and did research in, in Fatima. And the actual stories actually just are almost identical to alien encounters. Um, and so there are the re- these researchers in Portugal that got a hold of me and asked me if I would contribute to their book. And I didn't want to do the research on aliens, I have to tell you. I thought it's all interesting, but I just don't want to do that. Um, my expertise is in child experiences. So anyway, I started the research on alien encounters and became so involved. It took me five months to write a 15-page chapter. And because it's uh, the, the way the alien encounters, the people who had these experiences describe it are almost identical to my stories from my religious apparition people, um, the, the qualities of light, sparkly light, different colors, communication, um, what's being communicated, and some of the things about having a special mission or that you're, there's a special purpose for you um, and that you're chosen. 
and, and this is some of the communication that happens in the religious apparitions as well. And then also physical touch. Although in alien encounters, it's usually associated with trauma. Um, and the touch that's associated with religious apparitions is usually the opposite. It's bliss. It's joy. They're put in an altered state of consciousness. Um, it, it's really quite fascinating to to read what is really kind of ineffable and they're trying to explain their experience. So those three things, I actually took quotes from my participants and quotes from alien encounter stories and quotes from the kids in Fatima, Portugal, and they're they're almost identical. And so I, I listed them in my chapter that I contributed to that book, Fatima Revisited. And there are people out there who believe that um, these are alien encounters. And in the movie Contact with Jodie Foster, um, it's about contact with aliens. And she sees somebody who looks like her father who had died. And it was actually an alien who took on that form so that she would not be afraid. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, I don't know. I don't have any answers. But is, you know, our what are these? You know, it's like, is it a religious figure? As a child, I was raised Catholic, so I believed I saw Jesus. Um, now as an adult, I'm more discriminating. I, I definitely saw a man standing there and communicated with me. But was that Jesus? I, I don't know. It was, it was something extraordinarily profound. It affected my entire life. Um, so, but I don't know who he was other than as what I identified him to be as a child. So I think that that's a problem that a lot of people have who have had these experiences because they're not sure what the heck happened to them and who this person was. Um, and then you have the alien encounter folks who go through a whole plethora of emotions and feelings about their experiences. And, um, and so there's the, there are some similarities, definitely similarities. That's very interesting. It is. And the experience that I had when I was four was awakening in the middle of the night and sitting up and talking to a man who was standing at the foot of the stairs, I mean of the bed. It was a one-story house, but we were on a hill, and it was at least 15 feet down to the ground by my window, so there's no way anyone could be in there without coming through the front door and waking my parents. But he was glowing. He was made of light, and it did have that sparkly quality. It had gold, predominantly gold light was coming out of him and shimmering around him, and he was telling me things about the future in my lifetime and things to watch for. And I was so excited. I was so filled with joy and bliss to finally see him again. I knew him from somewhere. Um, and he was telling me that he couldn't watch over me anymore because he was about to incarnate in the body of a little boy, and he showed me what he was going to look like as a man. And I was so excited, I wanted to share it with my mother, and I called out to her, Mommy, Mommy, come see the beautiful man in my room. And she started screaming and running in the direction of my room. And, of course, he was gone by the time she got there, and I was in trouble for lying about a man being in my room. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's what happened to me, and I never really knew who he was. It was just sort of a big question mark that hovered over my life, and, and, and I think I know who he is now. But Yeah. And it's, and I, it, it's interesting. Of course, though, you know, when you step back and you're looking at your mother and here is the, uh, your daughter, a small child, saying there's a man in the room. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, I'm and, surprised of course, upset. Yeah, her reaction is like, oh, my God. You know, um, and then, you know, she's so worried. And then to find out there's no one there in her eyes. And that you that you as a child did this, and she's very unhappy with you, you know, because she can't see what you saw. Mm -hmm. um, but that well, your your experience is so similar to other people's. Um, you know, she had psychic ability too, but she thought that she was crazy. So she was always afraid that uh, I was crazy too. Okay, yeah. So Gosh, that, uh, but yeah, the middle of the night. And I think my my dad traveled then, so it was probably just us in the house with my little infant brother. So, yeah, she probably screamed. 
Yeah. <laughs> and ran in the room and then figured I was just dreaming, you know, that it was just a dream. But I saw him for sure. And I was yeah, so, I, and I was excited for days afterwards to have finally seen him again. When you say finally seen him again. I knew him from somewhere, but I couldn't tell you where I knew him from. But he was dear oh. to me. I knew him. Oh, He was dressed like one of the three musketeers. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can see him now. He had a sword at his side. He had a big feather coming out of his hat. He was wearing those tights with a little skirt-looking thing, you know. And I'm pretty sure that's him in a past life. And I'd missed him, and I was glad to see him again. Um, and um, so, you know, I've just written a book on... I've been doing Akashic Records readings for over 20 years. And so I, part of my life path was to help people remember past lives. And I think he was from one of my past lives. And, you know, that's something that um, that I think that we all have, that when we're seeing these things, there's something that's coming up. Um, also, I think some of us are contacted because we're receiving downloads um that we have a part this is i had um i i hardly ever talk about this but something's happened to me in the last week where it's like i'm not afraid to talk about it anymore and it I, maybe i got downloaded <laughs> maybe i got downloaded that said you know it's time i don't know you but, got the fearlessness um, download huh yeah i guess so and you know i've got my phd i I wanted to find out what happened to me, and I couldn't tell anybody why I was doing this. You know, it's like, why are you getting a Ph.D. in uh, mysticism, Um, you know, transpersonal psychology and studying mystical experiences? Uh, So it's interesting, you know, and I'm like, I want to find out. In fact, when I did my research, and um, I was very fortunate to have an advisor when I first went into my Ph.D. program, who who was a well-known uh, person in parapsychology and had done studies on distance healing. And I mean, he's just, I, I was so blessed. And when I told him what I wanted to do, I started crying in his office because when I talk about my experience, I go into spontaneous weeping, if you've heard about that phenomena, um, no. where it, you, you, you just start crying, but you can't, and you cannot stop. <laughs> And it's just uncontrollable. Tears start rolling out, and I, oh, I was a mess in his office, and I couldn't control it. But um, And he stood there, and he sat there, actually, in awe watching me because my teeth chattered. I was displaying every symptom that an experiencer displays. Um, and I didn't know about those symptoms because I was new in, in the program. But I wanted to study it because when when I was, as an adult, what happened to me well, I shouldn't say as an adult. When I saw Jesus when I was about seven years old, six or seven, I started having a dream every night, the same dream. And I was in a meadow at, with about, well, I, don't, I would say 11 other girls. I think there were 12 of us little girls, all about the same age. And Jesus was there, and he was teaching us. He was teaching us things. And then when class was over, I would run up to him, other girls would be talking to each other or whatever, and I'd just beeline towards him to hug him because I just wanted to be near him. I just wanted to hug him. And so I put my arms around his waist because I was just a little girl. Um, and whenever he would touch my shoulder or the top of my head, I would be suddenly sitting up in my bed at home. And mm. and then I would go back to sleep. And that happened every night and I, and what frustrated me is that when I woke up, I could remember everything, the scenes, but I could not remember what he was teaching us. And so, and that went on from probably six, seven years old, and every night, probably for a year or two years, and then it faded. It was like every twice a week or once a week. And by the time I was twelve, I didn't have them anymore. Uh, then when I was about 18 years old, um, I had another dream. And we were all, the girls were all grown up like me. And same thing happened. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad to see you. And I went up and hugged him, and he touched me, and I woke up sitting up in my bed. And I just bolted wow. upright. And, um, and I really missed him. And I think that was one of the things that I wanted to find out is, 
how did other people feel? Did they feel abandoned? It's like you come to me, you you know, you brighten my life, you bring me these this this blessing, this feeling, this something, you know, that and then you're gone. You know, what's up with that? (laughs) And um, I wanted to, actually, when I did my research, I wanted to find those 11 other little girls. I was hoping I could find them. But I didn't. (laughs) Or at least no one said, you know, yeah, I was in that that meadow too. Um, But I still don't know. There was a psychologist uh, that I know who is a hypnotherapist and, um, He's very into alien encounter work, working with people who are uh, alien experiencers. And he he wanted to regress me and to find out what I was being taught. And I was really hesitant to do it because I thought that I'll know what I'm supposed to know. I kind of just, you know, accepted that I don't remember for a reason, (laughs) you know. Yeah, like it would be a uh, violation. In a way, I felt that way. And... um, And then I allowed him to re- – I only did it once. I allowed him to regress me. And uh, what I what I saw in this regression – and, I mean, I don't want to be a, a bringer on of negative thoughts or whatever, but it was very, it was very hard to do. I was seeing a lot of destruction. And um, ironically, it was – you know, I could even tell the location, and it was in, in Turkey or in Turkey, Iraq – and this happened a long time ago. I had this regression in, I think, 1993, four, something like that, maybe 1995. Um, and I, it was really hard, and I thought, well, no wonder a kid is, doesn't remember it because it's really hard to see that, a lot of destruction. Yeah. And then I didn't want to be regressed again because I told him, you know what, I think this is premature. I'm not supposed to to remember this yet, if yeah. if there is something to remember. Um, but I have received messages. Also, I'm writing. I'm putting together right now that I actually wrote a long time ago, back in early 1990, um, of angelic messages that I received from these beings that called themselves angels. And um, it's about urges, and and I, it needs to come out so people who may have been receiving information or messages and it scared the heck out of them and what do they do with it, um, to know that, yes, somebody with a Ph.D., and I mean, I has had this happen too, and um, these, are the, these are the things that I was told. It can be a little scary, but it's not supposed to be scary, but it's what's happening now. It's, it's really quite amazing. So mm-hmm. I think some of us are healers like you, mm-hmm. um, and some of us are messengers. Uh, I think that's more my healing comes with working with people with my voice, um, with words, with art, to able to communicate and express. I'm a Gemini. Um, and I think we all have different modes. Some of us are more leader type, I think. Uh, we're all pieces of a puzzle, quite frankly, Lois. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. Each of us has a different piece of the puzzle. And um, I wanted to tell you, though, that until I was seven, we lived in, in a house, as I said, on the side of a hill. But the hill leveled out, and there was a, a huge field out behind my house, and there were usually wildflowers there. And beyond that, there was, there was a tree line with a creek, and I was not allowed to go that far. But at night, I would go out into the meadow and go to school. Oh my gosh! Yep, you're a night school person. I think there are a lot of night school people. I've talked to a few over the years. Yeah, I went to school at night in that meadow, and one time, I can't remember what was taught. There were other people there, other kids. I can't remember how many adults, but there were adults. But one time, I, I wandered back there into the meadow when I was about six or seven, and I saw three burned places that looked like um, it was. It made a perfect triangle there were like burned places and i thought i wonder how that happened and just kind of shrugged it off until i read you know alien books many many years later but yeah there was a school in the meadow behind my house in dallas texas although that meadow was really you know right yeah oh my gosh that's i don't remember what was taught oh oh gosh you too isn't that interesting yep yep I only Although, know of three, I remember three when I was 
when I was 18 and, and went off to college, I made it a point to study, you know, how to weave, how to make, um, um, in getting my bachelor's in art ed, I, was, I made a point of knowing how to weld, as in, you know, um, sculpture. But I also knew how to make uh, pottery. Like, I, I made it a point to learn how how to uh, get dirt, you know, the right kind of dirt and make pots and then how to fire it down in a, a pit in the earth. And I was very consciously doing that because I knew that something was going to happen and I was going to have to help recreate civilization. Now, I don't, then I needed to know how to do basic things. I don't know that that, that future hasn't changed. I think it probably has. But I was educating myself in 1965, when I was 18 wow. years old, how to uh, help the people who were left survive. So I don't know if that's part of what was being taught or what. Uh, yeah, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that you you told me that. Um, and I think that for listeners, whether you're listeners online right now or for those that will be listening to this recording in the archive, this is, I think, this is a time when a lot of us are going to be coming out of the closet, yep. you know, that child mystic closet, um, because what you're describing is so interesting to me, because this is part of what I was told, um, not from Jesus as a child, but almost uh, uh, similar or something similar. Um, I've never, I never have really talked about what he told me. And um, but it was basically that I, I I'm here for a reason. In fact, I was just a child, and this is one of the things that I rarely tell anybody. But now I'm just like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, really, tell the world. Uh, he basically told me as a little child, like you can come with me and go back home if you want. Yeah, like, I, I got could that basically. Message too. I think, yeah, it's like you can come back home with me if you want, um, or basically go back home. He didn't say with me. You can you can come back home. Um, or it, like basically, if I said okay, I do. I just want to come back home. I probably would have had a physical bodily death right then. Um, that's how I felt. You know that I could just leave my body right then and and check out and go back home. Um, yeah. And then he just then he said to me, Why would you want to? Why would you want to? This is the time. You know, it's like this is the time that basically we have a chance to make this. You know, this is the time. And it's all for you. You know, this is it. And so I knew that I couldn't. And then my mother would, she said she would come by my room once in a while, and I had a little vanity thing with a mirror, and I'd be talking in the mirror. Now, she thought I was talking to myself. But I've also done mirror research, very interesting stuff. And I think mm-hmm. I was being told because she was saying, where would a five-year-old get those ideas? Because I was saying into the mirror, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to change the world at five. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I was getting these communications all along. And uh, interesting, you talked about learning to weave. I learned to weave when I did my dissertation because I used weaving for the display of my research findings because I wanted um, a tangible, something that was alive, that took all the threads. What we do is, um, is a description in research, like a story that comes from when it's the cloth of their experience. And you take and you want to analyze that experience, so you pull the threads from that cloth and basically unweave it. And then you're done, and you just take a few little threads and you mention them, and and here's this undone thing. And that really bothered me. And so what I did is I I said, I want to weave it together. I want to weave the stories back together, the pieces that are important in these stories that are combining all of us. And so what I did is I took, um, I chose threads, uh, yarns of fibers and texture uh, to represent each person in my research, including myself. I put myself in this weaving. And then for each quality of the experience that were the themes, what we call themes that we pull out of these stories, um, and I wove them together so that we were combined together in one cloth. Um, So it's very symbolic. 
and I I learned to weave, and I did this on a um, on a loom, and I had a master weaver teach me, and I wish I would have had her do the weaving because there's holes in it, and oh my gosh, it's <laughs> you can tell it's very uh, primitive, but it was the idea of it, and so I loved that you learned how to weave and that weaving aspect, and the whole doing pottery because I I was in veterinary medicine. And I love the fact that I was in medicine because I know medicine. And then I went into psychology, uh, spiritual psychology. I feel like I'm being trained and guided so that I have these qualities and abilities to be able to do whatever I might need to do should the case arise, you know. Yeah. And, and, you, and you too. So mm-hmm. it's so interesting. I, and I love that you went to night school. I went that, to night school. I, in know, the meadow out back. Oh my gosh! Uh, any listeners out there, um, whether it's uh, you know live or uh, that are listening to this in the archive recordings, please um, sign up for my mailing list. And uh, I have a, a new website that I just created, and it's uh, it's just one page right now. But I'm going to be doing some talks and uh, a series of talks on this topic, and I want to take questions and talk about, answer questions and, and talk about topic suggestions. Night school might be one of them. But the is it okay if I give my web address? Oh, yeah, please do. Okay, it's, it's new. It's, it's going to be the title of the book that I'm writing. It's called Miracles Kept Secret. So miraclesketsecret.com. Um, and if they would go there and just sign on to my mailing list so I can um, get get them on the list so they can be able to send me questions and, you know, stories and things like that, and I'll be having that set up. But if I get them on my list, then I can, um, I can start interacting with them, and that would just be so great. If I want to know any other night school people <laughs> that I'm very interested in. Yeah, maybe we'll figure out what the heck we were taught. <laughs> well, I've you know, I've always felt like it's going to each little piece of that unfolds as needed. And I think some of that information was given to us at a time when it wasn't clear if we were gonna make it, you know, this far. And I think things have changed and some of the things we were taught are obsolete and I think some of the things we were taught will unfold um gradually as needed it'll just have you ever just needed to know something and boom somehow you knew it that's been uh, that's the kind of psychic ability i have me too I well i think it that's where we know. got it was part of it's night school oh how it's, interesting yeah it's there waiting yeah, to be activated by events that that could be that's one of these angelic messages are that way too that events could be changed and um that if certain things could, you know, alter the course of events. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's very interesting. But I think that I think everything is happening in a way, just the way technology is and how we can come together. Um, I mean, look at Facebook, for instance. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, there's communities of people that would have never found each other otherwise right. from different parts of the world. So I think technology has a lot to do with us coming together as well. Um, it, it's it's definitely in the time frame now when we're supposed to our piece our piece of the puzzle now can come together to you know put the whole picture together. At least I'm hoping. <laughs> when do you expect to, the book to come out? Well, you know that's an interesting question. I have been trying to find. Um, representation for the book with an agent so that I could go a traditional publishing route. And I, one of the problems I had from being so well in, doing so well in academia is I've lost my creative voice. It's stuck back in my brain somewhere, and most forefront is the scholar. And so um, I've been told it's too scholarly, it's too academic. <laughs> and I was trying to tone it down, so that was bad news. Um, so at any rate, I am I'm going to try a different route in writing this so that it isn't so scholarly. But I I'm actually hoping to have the proposal um, read by an editor at a publishing company um, sometime this month, and we'll see. And also the potential possibly for it being seen by some people at Hay House. 
Uh, if Seriously. that happens, if that happens, it's going to be it's going to be sent to publication by the end of July. Um, how long it'll take after that, I'm not sure. If I decide to do self-publishing, it should. I'm thinking maybe by September, mm-hmm. something like that. So just it's to give to... you the range of possibilities there. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to read it. Oh, you sweetie, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for it to get out there. Yeah, yeah, because think of all the little kids that need their mommies and daddies and teachers and doctors to read that kind of thing. Right, right. Training is really important. It is, so that they respond appropriately and, and don't shame the kids, you know. Right. And the thing is, we have to keep in mind there's people like you and me, you know, and we were the ones, parents, are the wounded, and their woundedness is wounding their children. Um, I know that they don't want to do that, but without really looking at our own stuff, we're going to carry that on into our kids. Um, And that's why I want to work with adults who have had experiences so they can embrace them, so they can open up and and really understand that there's something that happened and it was for a reason more than likely. But they're, they're you know, squelching their own goals being achieved. And you, like you went to art. I think that was there's a lot of artists in my research as well, very creative mm-hmm. people. But they, it's their aspiration. They want to do art, but they're not doing it. And oh. so it's like, let's, let's work on this, people. Let's find out what is inhibiting you. Is it because you've been keeping these wonderful experiences a secret? Yeah. You know, well, let's let's get together in a safe place, and we're going to work on that. You know, and I, get you. To I'm be seeing able right to now that there's somebody to. who has called in who's got a question. Can we open the line and see what the question is? So oh, sure, you? absolutely. Okay. Hi, area three o five. The line is open. Do you have a question? Hi, Lois. Lovely program. I wanted to mention Jacques Vallée, Passport to Magonia. Excellent book. Probably the best I've read. And it talks about everything you've spoken about the virginal apparitions and the gnomes and the wee people and everything all in one tome. And it's a great book. And I love and your name program. Of it, I the name of it was what? Passport uh, to M A G O N I A. It was written by Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée was the person, the actual person, who's personified by Dreyfus in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he's an actual person. He's written many books, but that book talks about everything you've spoken about. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. So um, so there's an interesting piece of information. So right. we've only got about yeah. one and a half minutes left. Is there anything you want to be sure you say before this show is over? I just want to remind people that I do have that website, Miracles Kept Secret. It's just one page. If you can get on my mailing list, we can stay in touch. I can tell you about things that I'll be doing, free talks that I'll be giving. Um, There would be free and for fee, and it just depends. But I have one coming up on June 15th, and I'd I'd love to get connected with people. And thank you for this opportunity. Um, You are so welcome. This is my first being able to be free to speak about my own experiences without fear of reprisal or anything or the sky falling. So it's really a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you so much, Lois. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I hope we can talk again soon. Oh, thank you. I'd love to. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So let me remind you all that I also have a book out, Akashic Records, Case if you'd like to take a look at that, it's my put my version um, you'll get that'll come up on Kajic Records, Case Studies of Catalan. And my website again is hotpinklotus.com. Awful lot of free stuff on that website as you uh, continue your journey. And if you want to talk to me about, email me, Lois, 